Good Shabbos, Shabbat Shalom. How are you doing? All my Yidin, because it's today, it's, it's Shabbat dinner tonight. It's going to be a great time. I cannot wait. And for all my Goyim, enjoy your weekend. You made it through the week. Mazel Tov. Let's move on. Let's cook. I can't wait to talk to you about some of this deeper stuff. It's Power Now by Eckhart Tolle, part four, I think. Let's do it. What is up, everybody? Shalom Aleichem. Good Shabbos. Shabbat Shalom. And happy Friday for my Goyim. Just the end of the week. You get to relax. You get to hit the weekend hard. Anyways, I just got finished a whole long morning of speaking in Hebrew with my Mora ve more Ivri. And I've also finished up with my Maestra y Maestro del Español. Um, yeah, these are my... I have people I talk to from other countries and they teach me Spanish and Hebrew and it's really cool, which I'll elaborate one day a little more on. But what we are getting into and what you've been waiting for is the rest of Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. And this chapter is called Enlightened Relationships. Let's get into it. Now, disclaimer, Eckhart Tolle, he is not a relationship coach, nor should he be, I'd say, but... Yeah, he talks about it, so I'm going to express what he said. He says that in regards to lashing out and attacking, he says it's the opposite of love. And in relationships, that is just us seeking out a deeper sense of self. When we lash out and attack, it's us seeking out a deeper sense of self. AKA our ego wanting salvation, that freedom. Our ego wants control. It does not want to be killed. Hence the salvation it's always seeking. Now, I, I looked up the definition of salvation, just means to prevent or reduce harm. And I was talking to a client yesterday about some deep thing, and it, it's crazy that literally almost everything in life comes down to our natural will to live. And that makes sense that, yes, our self-talk is always avoiding discomfort, always. And if you're wondering, I was talking with my client about arguments and adult babies, which if you go way back in the podcast, I discussed what an adult baby is. And that adult babies are just people that, again, are don't even realize it. They're unconsciously scared of discomfort. Now, let's extrapolate this little piece of info. So Eckhart Tolle, I'll remind you, he says that our ego, and aka our deeper self, attacks because our ego wants salvation. Us seeking a deeper sense of ourselves. For this reason, think about this. When we're super present and mindful, and we can shut up that inner voice, we won't attack anymore. It's as simple as this. You kill the self-talk, you don't hurt other people. You feed the self-talk with more stories, definitions, assumptions, beliefs, whatever. You feed the self-talk, you hurt other people. It's, It's kind of as simple as that, to be honest. Now, I'm sure you could go the other way, and sometimes people's self-talk is very positive. I've talked to Scott about this. An egotistical person who's really high on that ego spectrum, closer to the super ego, they are now projecting love and joy. So I guess if you listen to your self-talk, it could project lots of love and joy. But let's look at the other end when people are upset. Don't listen to your self-talk when you're upset. Unless, okay, this is where it's a paradox, because unless the self-talk, unless you're taking in information like this, where we learn to go inward, we learn to be present, and you don't blame, then then the self-talk, I guess, is good, but it's all just a coping mechanism, and who, now we get philosophical, who are, 
am I to say there's a good and bad coping mechanism? Because for me to say someone's coping mechanism, name calling, is a bad one, would just be me projecting my own fears. I have a fear and insecurity about yelling, about hurting another person's feelings. Because in the past, I've been yelled at and my feelings are hurt. So now I see it as a bad thing. And now I don't want other people to do it. And that's simply a projection of my own fear. So for that reason, I'm not going to blame or judge when someone does that. All I can tell you is that I do not like it because of my own insecurities and fears. And that's, so what I just did there, that exercise, I literally, while explaining that coping mechanism people do, I used my own coping mechanism to go inward. And that's what I recommend you all try to do if you can. But uh, it's a paradox. Here I'm projecting on you again. I am literally just projecting on you again. So don't listen to me and do your own thing, whatever. Now, the reason people don't express themselves the way I just did, it's simply because they're they're controlled by their parasitic zombie self. Their self-talk has literally sabotaged them, taken over their meat suit and their brain, their thoughts. They're literally, they've been hijacked. So you can't, when you see people acting in any way, realize that's literally just the zombie in them taking over their body. That's not them. And at that point, yeah, I'm not even going to go down that rabbit hole. But just see people as walking parasitic zombies and then your life will be good. <laughs> totally, like most people, recommends not to avoid pain. It's not a good answer. So don't avoid a relationship because relationships have been painful. That's a poor decision. He mentions that three failed relationships in as many years are more likely to produce an awakening state for you than, um, than three years on a deserted island, per se. He says if you were on that island and you could bring intense awareness into those present moments, sorry, if, sorry, if you could bring intense awareness to the aloneness, like you being alone on the island, that would work as well. He's not saying, he's not saying you need to be in crappy relationships to become woke. He's just saying as long as you're present in any situation. Now I really needed to hear this because, sorry, I'm so tired. <sighs> Oh my gosh, I needed to hear this, okay? I am in a place where I I choose avoidance. And it's specifically around marriage. Yes, if you're a friend of mine, you know I'm fucking scared of marriage. And I don't really want a partner. And, and people go, yeah, well, no one wants a partner right now. We're young, we gotta grow up. And I'm like, actually, like, right now, with some of these goals I have, a partner would just hinder those goals. And to me... I, when I write my goals down, I actually don't even put in marriage. It's not even a goal. Like, it's not a priority at all. So maybe it will be, and then I'll change things up. But anyways, anyways, I digress. So, however, you know, thinking about the last few people I've talked to and dated, it did propel me towards everything I know and realize now. So totally, for me, it's right. It totally is right. For my scenario, totally is correct. That the relationships did bring me closer to my awareness and whatever enlightenment means, enlightenment means, but now the thing is that all that I learned, it's actually going to make my next relationships way better as well. So that is why I'm glad for it. And on a side note, that's why I'm so grateful and thankful for those women, those people who I had hurt. I am so, so grateful for them. You don't even know how bad I feel for them. They had to put up with a Zev that didn't have the same programming. I, I, like, and so I still struggle this day 
with that concept because I don't want the next person I'm with to be a learning opportunity either. Even though I know everything is a learning opportunity, I just don't want them to get hurt. I don't want to hurt people, but I, it's not like I'm tr I try to. It just happens through whatever programming. Like in, a, in anyways, I hate that. It really it freaks me out. Is I don't want to hurt someone. And what will happen is I, well again I'll be thinking like okay I'm dealing with this well I'm dealing with the situation well and then it turns out the way I was dealing with it pisses them off anyways and it's like ah oh, it's like I just feel like it's a lose lose scenario sometimes I'm like oh this is gonna piss someone off regardless and now we get into the people pleasing lack of confidence throughout life seeking validation through others blah 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 like all these deep deep rooted childhood baggage issues now Tolly had a bit of a hot take here I don't know what connotation he was putting on codependency but he was saying that to be present can end all codependency you know he goes on to say eliminates being drawn into somebody else's unconscious pattern and therefore enabling it to continue but again the subjective philosophical side of this i was talking to a client once and she was saying like yeah you know my friend and their partner very codependent and i'm like and and i was telling her i started speaking and i go yeah i couldn't imagine being codependent on someone and then it hit me, I'm like, wait, why am I judging right now? And then it hit me, I go, I go, oh my God, I'm not gonna say your name. I was like, yo, if they are as happy as you and I would be independent, then hell, go crush codependency if it's gonna make someone happy. Now, also remember, eating cake for every meal will make you happy for, at first, but then soon it will make you unhappy because of the consequence. So. As long as a person knows the consequence to codependency and they still like it, heck, keep doing it. I'm not going to judge. It's like the deep philosophical thing too is like, I am a fitness person, so I'm always preaching healthy lifestyle. And I was just this, I guess it could, you could call it a paradox, but I was telling my mother how we, we lift, it's the willful suffering concept. We lift now so that we prevent cardiovascular disease and osteoporosis and arthritis later. But then I told my mother, I go, okay, so the pain now of lifting and running, it, we'd rather take that discomfort than the discomfort of disease. And then I told her, I go, oh, but imagine if someone actually preferred the discomfort of disease over lifting. And, I, and then it became a philosophical conversation. I'm like, oh my gosh, literally like, who am I to project my fears on anyone of course i'm gonna keep preaching that but like if someone were to come up to me and say zev i disagree because i actually it the disease is worth not working out if working out brought so much pain and misery that the disease was better than lifting then i would say don't lift but very few people i'm yet to meet someone that says yeah this was totally worth it now look at smokers some people they get emphysema and they're like you know what it was worth it i really enjoyed my cigarettes and it's very few very few people say that because a lot of emphysema patients will tell youngsters not to smoke but i'm just saying i'm just saying think about it that way how crazy is that and right now if you're still detesting this you're like no 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 there's zev you're mashuga there's absolutely no way that that makes sense no one wants disease instead of lifting like i'm just saying think about it think outside the box if that's the sacrifice we're all making. When you willfully suffer, you are in essence compromising, saying this pain is worth the outcome. And if someone is saying the pain of exercise is not worth the outcome, which is disease-free life, 
then it's not worth it. Anyways, I love that paradox. I forgot about that. So I put in the notes here that I'm, I don't necessarily agree with this concept by Tolly, but here we go. Tolly says in powerless moments is when we're present. When we witness childbirth or someone giving birth, someone's dying, someone's seriously ill. He says we're not stressed or creating problems in these moments of powerlessness where we have no control. And I'm like, no, see, I kind of disagree because literally one of the definitions of torture is to do something involuntarily. Like it's one thing, okay, so let's use the cake analogy. You're eating cake. Now imagine someone stuffing cake down your throat and you're like, no, I don't want to. And they keep feeding you like that's torture. That literally be torture. There's no peace in that powerlessness. Now there's no peace because a person's created a story and a connotation towards the action of being forced to eat cake. The connotation is that it's bad. You don't want to do anything out of your control. We're taught that to be inferior is bad. We don't want someone controlling us, inflicting discomfort. And it's like it stems back to discomfort. So yeah, there's no peace when, when there's no power in a situation like being forced to eat cake. But it totally says in these situations like giving birth, illness and death, there, there can be peace and there is. Now, I actually, not to sound contradictory, I agree back in the first or second chapter when he says that peace does not equal happiness. He's saying at a funeral and, you know, deathly ill family, these are not happy moments, but you can be at peace because peace is just acceptance. Peace is no connotation. Peace is no manifested anything. Nothing's manifested. No constructions, if that makes sense. And that's, I agree there. I love, that's what peace is. But nah, I disagree. Peace. Would you be at peace if you were not something was out of your control and you're being forced to cake down your throat? Come on. Oh, this quote is mamish geschmack. Okay, listen. And this is straight from the book. Ready? As soon as the mind and the mind identification return, you are no longer yourself, but a mental image of yourself. You start playing games and rules again to get your ego needs met. You are a human mind again, pretending to be a human being, interacting with another mind, playing a drama called love. Now, let's break this down. As soon as your mind starts to identify with things again, literally as simple as I'm in my house, on in my universe, in my planet, in my body, I'm here doing my podcast. Once our mind starts to talk like that again, once our mind starts talking, right? Because we identify as English speakers, really just everything that we agree with, we're identifying with. Once your mind starts to do that again, you are no longer that true consciousness. We are now a mental image of ourselves, just like we're watching a movie in front of us and we're that image in front of us. That's who we are then. Now we're watching that image. And then we start playing games and create rules. So that image we're watching of ourselves, that again, isn't us. Like you don't identify with the movie you're watching, but that movie we're watching, games and stories start to be created and it's all to meet our ego's needs. Our ego says, I'm gonna die if I don't right now get something I want. So in the movie we're watching of ourselves, that mental image he's talking about, we then see the ego take over our body like a parasite and make our body go to the fridge and get food. Make our body go and yell at someone because they upset us. Make us do this. Make us, our ego just controls us, right? 
like right now i'm being controlled i'm watching a movie of this being being controlled wanting to spread this word wanting to spread these cool things i've learned so and so you and then you're pretending to be human right like you're just pretending to be this thing that we all agree on and you start interacting with other movies aka minds doing the same thing having their egos needs met and obviously there's going to be clashing there when egos needs aren't being met but they both want something and you know what i mean and this is the drama called love and we start our ego starts wanting a partner to to never die because the ego as a child it never dies the, the dna goes on and anyways that's how that's real i love that part not sure if i fully understand this but eckhart Tolle says that true communication is communion the realization of oneness which is love you know he believes that Love cannot flourish unless you are free of mind identification. If your presence is intense enough to dissolve this, your pain body. Again, pain body is this concept from the very beginning of the book. He talks about that zombie parasite takeover that I like to refer to. So he says, if it's intense enough that, oh, I just realized, I hope you guys have heard me this whole time. The mic was way up high, but maybe you hear me better now. Anyways. If you're present enough, you're not a zombie. If you can at least, or, or, you know, you can remain present as the watcher, the, the observer of the thinker. You are not your thoughts. You're the observer of your thoughts. Now, at this point, the pain body cannot take you over because there's nothing, there's no definition. There's no belief that you could be taken over and you actually become, um, and, and become destructive. You become... And the, sorry, and the pain body cannot take away love. But again, love doesn't even exist in the unmanifested. So, because that's just another way for our ego to latch on to something. Tolly has so many hot takes in this, in, in this chapter. And he says, if somebody gets upset in your relationship, see it as a good thing. This, he sounds so optimistic here. Because the unconscious is now being conscious. It's coming to light. He has a good point there. He says, you can now be aware of all the thought they're having and be present with it and love fully now i added some things here never forget that you cannot love fully when you're not present unless of course the person you're loving has been programmed to believe your unconscious actions are love then their subjective perception contradicts this theory completely if that sounded like gibberish let me break it down if you're not present you cannot love fully this is because you're zombies loving someone if you're not present it's just your programming that's loving someone now, I was saying, because Tolly doesn't say this, and Tolly, philosophy kind of ruins all the fun of any conversation because people love answers, but where Tolly may be wrong here is if someone is programmed to believe that the zombie version of you is love, then their subjective perception, how they see you, not on anyone else, but how they see you, will contradict the theory because they will feel love. They, they'll think you're loving. If they were programmed to think everything you're doing is love. If they have never even been taught mindfulness and have never even been taught the concept of being the observer, and they're so identified with their bodies and words, then they are going to believe what love is and isn't. And plus, on a, on a side note, third point here is just being present. Sure, it's like the most authentic love I but even then to start saying that is love and to not be present isn't that's the ego going off and uh to seek meaning and in reality like we don't know what love is this is just us trying to seek the meaning 
And with that, I'm going to finish this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed. Rate five stars on Apple Podcasts if that is where you're listening. Take care. Crush it and apply all this stuff. La